This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupans. Yes. It's last call for burgers in the breezeway at their Lake Grove store. Last two Thursdays in September, 11 a.m. to 7 p.m., burgers and fries in the breezeway. Plus their new regional dinner series in Cellars E. Burnside that's on the second Fridays of each month. Four course dinners plus wine pairings focused on specific regions of France. Now, here's where I get to use my uh, French accent, Chris. October 13th, Bordeaux. Okay, that was easy. November 10th, Loire Valley. And uh, you can purchase tickets at zoopants.com. Valley is not uh, No, is no, not no I was like, I was hoping to, Val. to show off. Val, well, Val, Val, Val de Bo- Val. Valet is actually... Is it? La Valet. Right. Oui. But what's, here's, if you get nothing from this podcast, you need to go to zoopans.com mm-hmm. and subscribe to their news with a Z feed, and you get deals in your inbox. I got... Uh, I got two for one burger yeah. a couple of weeks ago. Great burger meat, and also they have buy one get one steaks. Free four pounds of peaches. Yep. So sign up at zupans.com, and of course, then you'll go buy those wonderful things. Right. That you tell us where. Well, it's the three locations: McAdam, Lake Grove, and of course on Burnside. But it was pointed out in our copy here that you were a member of the news feed, and I was not. So I actually went. As we were just d- talking just now, yeah, signed up for it. It took me less than 20 seconds to do it. Yeah. Just go and to zoopans.com, left corner, email sign up. And here's what I do. I go in the store, and while I'm wandering around there, I yeah. pull up my email and do a Zupan search, and the air comes up. There it is. Here's what I'm going to get free. Yeah. Uh, it's n- nothing better. Zupans.com is where you sign up. This is Right at the Fork. It is Portland's food scene podcast with your host, Chris Angelus from Portland Food Adventures. And we got court over there, the redhead. But yes, I am <laughs> I am the redhead. I am the bastard redhead stepchild. What? No, no. I don't think so. I've you, heard it all my life. I'm used to it. I think you're talking about in terms of here at, at Alpha. You're, you know, all, you're doing everything. You got your hands in everything. Something like KXL, that. KXL, kink. Something like that. Are you a kinky guy? <laughs> no, you're, you're on the air. Talk, talk about that some other time. Uh, great show today because uh, we get to get some insight into a list that came out just uh, maybe a week or so ago from Michael Russell, his top 40 restaurants. The Oregonian and Oregon Live. Yeah. Very important list. This is one that people pay attention to. And last year it was a, a list of 101 places, and now it's a list of 40. Mm-hmm. And he explains why they pared it down, what the difference is between uh, the number one restaurant on the list, which you already know is Coquine, yeah. and what the restaurant of the year means. We also, because it makes total sense, brought in Gary the Foodie to uh, give us his opinion on some of these things and also ask some really great questions of Michael Russell. Well, I think most importantly, Michael asked if we could have Gary. Right. Yeah, on. Yeah. It would have been a suggestion anyway. Right. Gary wanted to do it. Michael wanted to do it. We wanted to do it. So uh, I think it was really cool. And you can glean from this interview and from the fact that he asked that Gary has uh, quite a bit of influence on Michael's uh, decisions, sure. I think. Yep. Not not full influence. They disagree on some things, but Gary crosses his mind. Gary, cro- what Gary posts on Food Podcast PDX, I'm sure Michael sees. And uh, put it this way: there's nobody in Portland, I think, who knows more about chefs and who's where, mm-hmm. not only in Portland but elsewhere, than Gary. He's an encyclopedia of knowledge. Now, before we get to the conversation with Michael and Gary, uh, you've got some great trips coming up that uh, people should know about. I just have one that I want to talk about right now, which is very exciting for me because uh, I'm going, we're going with uh, David Briggs from Chocolate de David and uh, Catherine Mantarola, who is from Mexico. We're going to Mexico City March 11th, doing the best of Mexico with a Mexico City with a uh, with a focus on mezcal and chocolate, mm. and uh, you can find that on PortlandFoodAdventures.com. It's going to be an incredible trip. We're doing fine dining there. We're doing dives and uh, some of their favorite places. And Mexico City is getting a lot of um, notoriety now as one of the best food cities in the yeah. country. If you go to Chef's Table, you can see what's going on there. So I'm excited about that, and I hope others are too enough to go check out PortlandFoodAdventures.com. And very nice. So now to that conversation with Michael. Michael Russell. Great to have him here. It's mm-hmm. really cool. Two years ago, we couldn't have had him here because nope. he wanted to be in the in the critic closet, and he's out. Yep. 
Sorry, we were at the feast, yeah, yeah, the little, little league party, which was really nice. I thought I might see you there. You know, I almost went, but I have a new daughter at home, and uh, yesterday was my day to be with her, so my wife could go do her own thing. So someone invited me at the very last second, and I almost went after she was asleep. Uh, Did you not get invited that, to the whole thing? Did you get not get the the whole feast? I get about an email every 15 minutes inviting me to something. Uh, yeah, okay. Whether it's so you, like got a, a, you got to put it together. Some pot, you know, dinner or uh, the Bon Appetit after party or something like that. And I don't know how much I'm going to do this year just because, you know, balancing being a new father and, and going out to parties, it's kind of like pretty low on the totem pole right now. Well, also, you had said to me a long time ago that you don't, your focus is more on restaurants and not so much on events. And so that's a that's a different that's yeah. a whole different deal. It is a different deal. I mean, I like parties, and I mean, I think the Bon Appetit party specifically, they do such a good job with that every year. Like at Clyde's Prime Rib last year, or I remember all the way back to the very first one they did at um, Club Twenty One, which do, it was Bulldoze. It doesn't even exist anymore, but they flew up the Animal Guys to cook the fried chicken sandwich that was on the cover of Bon Appetit like a month before. I was now, like, see, this is the coolest thing yeah. that's happened in Portland. You that know? kind of stuff would be cool too. Not to be know. on Bon App's jock, but they do a really good job. Uh, that's Friday night, I think, too. I think that the last night was uh, Williams-Sonoma. Friday night. Friday night. So I'm going to... Maybe I'll be there. Anyway, the, that's that will have already happened by the time people hear this. So. Oh, uh, so, okay. That's good to know. I didn't yeah, know. This, this isn't live out. radio. When does it come out? This is uh, going to come out... Um, Five, six days from when oh, okay. we record it. So, All right. Um, so anybody who's listening, but we really want to talk about your top 40 <laughs> list as opposed to... Well, Feast Portland was awesome. We had a killer time. Yeah, oh my God, a, the after parties were crazy. But so that but that leads, that segues into, I wanted to ask you about, you wouldn't have been invited to a lot of these things, or you may have been invited in the past and said, I'm not going to go because I am a critic and I am behind the scenes and I'm the Wizard of Oz and nobody's supposed to know who I am. I could never resist the Bone App party. I think there was just this draw of like the chance to network with editors from New York. And, you know, I don't know what I was thinking, but their their parties were so cool. I always ended up going to them. But so would you decide that you would out yourself with those people? But if some, would you introduce yourself I just, as like, Michael Russell? Snuck, I just tried to sneak in with friends, you know, and, you know, I mean, I don't know who knew who I was back in 2012 or whenever the Club 21 one was, but... Mm-hmm. I think I was able to go in and have a bite to eat, and I I don't know who knows. It's all in the past now. It's a brave new world. Yeah, no, but I'm but I'm curious as to how. So it's been about a year, a little over a year. Yes, sir. How has it been for you since you uh, are a critic? You know, and people know who you are. Yeah, I think it's been like a little bit mixed. Like I think on the one hand, uh, it's nice to like be a part of this community and to like feel like you can. Uh, talk to people and, you know, be at a restaurant and not have to be sneaking around because that's weird. You know, mm-hmm. it's super weird to do that. I, I think that's a game that restaurant critics and restaurants have played for like 40 or 50 years, ever since Craig Claiborne. It's kind of nice to ditch that. Um, but on the flip side, I found it a lot harder to actually do full reviews. I mean, I think that a lot of things have come into play on that side, but I think it was a lot easier to do that when I didn't feel like I might be running into the chef at New Seasons or uh, at the farmer's market, which happens to be now, you know, with some frequency. Right. And so when you, are they bringing you comp dishes that you can't accept? How do, how does, what's the, what are the logistics of well, reviewing we, a restaurant now? I'm sort of, I think I said this last year, but I'm sort of blessed uh, with an organization that uh, is pretty generous with my expense account. Uh, I'm able to expense most of my meals out. Uh, when a chef sends me uh, a dish, which does happen, um, it even happened when I was anonymous and sometimes it would just be like an inconvenience type dish that would happen to an, a normal person, so to speak. Uh, I always felt the need to like tip more and the tip, that part of the tip usually came out of my own money. So it was always, some, sometimes it was almost like an inconvenience for me <laughs> that they did that. Uh, but I think the chefs, like when they do that, their intention is to like, Hey, there's this great dish that just came on the menu that this critic didn't think to order because he didn't know if it would be good or not, or he forgot about it. And I really want this person to see it. Um, And I mean, I can sort of appreciate that. So the key is from an ethical standpoint to sort of like ask to pay for it or to add a little bit to the tip. That's what I used to do. But it's also nice. It's one of the reasons I like doing what I do at my events. And when we go to Europe, no one orders. 
So you're getting what the chef wanted you to have. I mean, it's amakase. So, um, and to me, that is a great way to experience a restaurant. What, what, do, and especially if it was you, because they would obviously be trying to impress you uh, or any critic, and they should be trying to impress anybody, but especially you, because that's broadcast all over. Um, that's a good way to, to. Do you order that way? Do you say, "Bring me your be- what you really like"? Sometimes, yeah. If it's an option, it's not always an option. I don't. I wouldn't do it at a restaurant that didn't offer it. Um, but you know, you're seeing that more and more. I think Gorham does it at all of his restaurants. Uh, John Gorham does it. At, you know, it's not like really broadcast. But if you look on the menu at uh, Toro Bravo, there's menu. usually a tasting menu. And I mean, obviously. Uh, where else did I see one recently? I think Tusk has one. I think Cholino does one, uh, which I haven't done. And obviously, Coquine does one as well. I mean, that's a big one. And Le Pigeon. That was a big uh, change for Le Pigeon, adding the three levels of tasting menu. Well, he used to be able to do that. You walk in and say, just do it, and he would do it. And I think you can do that almost anywhere, but it's in terms of having it structured on the menu. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. If I'm mis- misremembering that, but I feel like that's something that was added a few, four or five years ago, maybe. Right. Okay. Mm. Maybe that I could be wrong. For my time. So how, and how long have you been reviewing restaurants now? So huh? it's been about five and a half years. Okay. Uh, the first restaurant I reviewed was Grain and Gristle. Oh. So that'll okay. date it. Yeah. And I like the was... burger. Burger's still pretty good. I... It's kind of messy. You can put an egg on it bacon juicy how important are burgers to you i know you turned me on to burger stevens love burger stevens yeah or either that or one of the other i don't remember how that worked but you i read your review on it sure um how important are burgers to the food scene here because it it seems to be it's funny i think that the burger is like the ipa of the food scene and that every brewery has to make an ipa every restaurant has to have a burger and if you don't have one you're making a statement like a brewery that doesn't make an IPA like the commons, uh, which we found out is actually closing uh, in, at the end of the year. That's a statement not to make an IPA. I think it's the same for restaurants like and restaurants attempt to do things to not make it take over the restaurant. And I think Le Pigeon, uh, to go back to them, they had this really smart idea when they started that we're only going to do five burgers a night and uh, people are lining up to get that thing. Uh, now you can get unlimited. It's a great burgers, marketing idea. Great right? marketing. It's going to run out, and whenever anything runs out, look at we just had uh, Aaron Franklin on, and you know he runs out every single day, and that's the that's he said he's not going to open another restaurant. Um, yeah, and did, hey, he's not coming to feast. Too bad he didn't come to feast. Oh, he didn't come. That's too bad. That's right. I forgot. <laughs> right. <laughs> but they're rebuilding that restaurant. You know, we had quite a few fires in Portland. Too, yeah, we sure did. So we sure did. Tails and Trotters. Tails and Trotters and Homegrown Smoker, their food cart. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. And, uh, Luckily, they were working on the brick and mortar. So let's talk about the... We sh- Do you want to get Gary on the line here? Yeah. Talk okay. a little bit about the list? Love it. I, re- I, I, I don't know if people know this, but I really write the list for Gary. Do you really? Yeah. I should, I should say that when he's on the line. But yeah, yeah. we can... Gary's my, when I think like, who's your audience, it's Gary, because he loves the Portland restaurant scene and he loves lists. Yeah, but he also has stated on the podcast that he gets a little bored with the Portland restaurant scene, and that's why he expands to San Francisco and Chicago and sure. all that good stuff. So, um, and it sounds like he's here now. Yep. Hey, Hi. Gary, it's Michael. Hi, Michael. Hey, I was just saying uh, that when I write the restaurant guide, I, I just write it with you in mind, one person. Uh- well, if you did, the list would be different. I know, because Castagna would be, would be number Ooh. one. <laughs> <laughs> I know Castagna would be number one for you. Yes. Yeah, Gary has done his list on, uh, actually, he hasn't done, he do, he's done it in the past, but he did, you heard his list through his San Francisco list. I don't know if you listened to that podcast, but. But you, I, I, you know what, I, I re-listened, and I forgot to, I had to, I forgot about one restaurant that'd be in my top ten. Mm. Which is? It's a pop-up, Jolly Led. Oh, right. Okay. Well, I could see that. You've, you've raved about that. Yep. But is that a restaurant? Does that go on a list? Great question. Great Pardon? question. What, what do you think, Michael? Like, does, well, does, I, does I, does a pop-up a restaurant. Yeah. Is a pop-up a, something that should go on a list? I can tell you that for me, uh, doing this list, I limited my list to places that are open four days a week. For, uh, 
that can include brunch, um, or it can include, in the case of Holdfast, as Gary pointed out, um, it can include their uh, their pop-up that they do with uh, Robinson, the uh, Deadshot pop-up. Deadshot, yeah. And, I, I mean, even though that that's sort of a different experience, I feel like, you know, they're giving people enough options to come in that it counts. Um, and that le- that meant leaving off a couple places that I really love, personally, uh, May, uh, which is... Uh, has two nights of service and a brunch, uh, which is an Appalachian food pop-up from Maya Lovelace. I'm sure listeners know about it. And uh, Tanuki uh, out in Montevilla, which is mm, she doesn't two want to be on the week. West. Yeah, she does not want to be on the West. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So that's okay. That's she, called me, she called me out. She said, uh, you know, the Oregonian would send in a bunch of confused suburbanites to oh, her. Yeah. <laughs> I said, well, that's my mission in life. I think, we, the I think she agreed to come on the podcast uh, oh, that so, be that fun. She, so that she could tell why she doesn't, <laughs> what, what her problem is. This is with why people. you should not come. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, there I, was, yeah. there was one uh, place that, pro- that, that, that may not fit into your criteria that was on your list last year that wasn't on your list this year. I know I'm not just not talking top 100, but within your top 40 last year, there was one place that did not make it on this year's list in the Six Patriot? Is it because it's a bar? Yeah, that's a good question. So maybe it's a good chance to sort of step back and talk about my methodology list this year because it was a little bit different than last year. Um, you know, stepping into this year's list, uh, a couple things happened. We, uh, My wife and I had our first kid. That was a big personal change. And sort of like working with the editors at the paper, they were giving, they had the sense that doing 101 restaurants like we did last year was just a little bit too broad, that like nobody would care what the 85th restaurant uh, in Portland is. And 40 is sort of like a more digestible number um, that people can sort of like care all the way from one to 40 where things are ranked and what they are. So when I did that, I think one of the big uh, early discussions I had in my head was like, okay, if you include like, Every one of John Gorham's restaurants, say, in the list, like maybe that's four or five places, like that's taking up a huge chunk of real estate. Now, maybe you wouldn't include all those on your personal list, but when I went down the line, I thought like one of the first steps I can do is sort of like pick the flagship restaurant from each restaurant group, or if maybe not the flagship, maybe just my favorite place and include them uh, uh, as sort of a um, the flag for the entire group. So. I think that I questioned that when I saw that because I thought you had one one of John Gorham's restaurants on there, and I thought probably if they weren't all part of his group, more of them might have been on there. Absolutely, and I think last year Mediterranean Exploration Company got in the top forty. So if I were doing can, the can hundred, you, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, well, Little Bird is owned by Gabriel, and Le Pitch is owned by Gabriel, and they're both in the top sixteen. So there were two exceptions this year uh, that I can think of off the top of my head. One was uh, Little Bird, which you're right, is part of the sort of the pigeon group. Uh, I just really love Little Bird. They were our restaurant of the year a few years ago, and I felt ne- like I needed to include them. The other place that you could sort of say are two is that uh, both Ox and... Uh, um, Superbite? And, no, both Ox and um, St. Jack are both... Chef stable restaurants, and they're both not only on the list, but both in the top ten. Yeah, well, now, I yeah, that, I know that's not the same as. Yeah, okay, I agree. So to get back to your original question, uh, it's like expatriate and beast, and really that was a, one of the toughest calls on the list. We Gary and I had conversations about it. A colleague uh, of mine and I had long conversations about it, and the sense pro- I got from a lot of people was like, "Hey, expatriate is awesome. Like their cocktails are great, the food is really exciting and fun." And maybe it's almost like the place that you would want to send people over Beast. And in the end, I sort of weighed Beast's like legacy in this town, uh, Naomi Pomeroy's legacy in this town. And, you know, also some of the sort of more interesting stuff they've been doing under originally Jake Stevens and now Lucian, is that his name, Gary? Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. And, uh, you know, just thought, hey, like I'm going to, I'm going to put them in an addicts Patriot as a, like a sort of secondary recommendation below them. Would you ever consider consulting Naomi and saying, Hey, I'm going to pick one of the two, uh, which, and, and you can write a good review on either one. Right. So it's not like you're, you're looking for favoritism there, but, uh, yeah. Like what, which of your babies yeah, which would of your you drown? Would you, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Sophie's <laughs> choice moment, but I'm going to pick one of the two. Tell me which one. And I'm going to mention the other, the way you did, which I really, 
I like the way you did that. That you on every every ranking has a suggestion that could fall off of that. Yep, for sure. And it's like a, a, maybe it's based on the cuisine. Maybe it's based on being in the neighborhood. Just something useful for people. Hey, if you can't get in here, go here. You but know? it gave you different options. You could do a neighborhood. You could do yeah, exactly. You could. So I like the fact that not it, it wasn't a f- format for each a lo- one. A lot of people. Have, told me that they appreciated that you know regular people who go out to eat have emailed me and said that's really useful because maybe we can't get into notoguro but we can go here yeah here's something that's the the next to answer your question i don't think i would do that i don't think i would ask naomi i mean i think that like it has to be the decision has to come from me because the list is mine right Okay, so, yeah. I'm just curious because I and her answer might be I want both. Why yeah, can't oh, I have both? It would absolutely and be then, both. Yeah, I, yeah. You yeah. Pro- well, <laughs> you run the risk of you know here you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, and you know you might. Do you care if you piss off chefs and owners? I'm sure I pissed off a lot of people. You have you to. know. I mean, just every single chef on this list who has more than one restaurant but only got one in the list probably is a little miffed about well, that. Well, what about the people who aren't on the list? Do they? Well, yeah, know? there's that too. So my question to you last year was. And it le- it goes right to the top forty. Was how do you, um, well, you know, when you get what's the difference between number forty seven and number seventy seven? Really, that's subjective, right? I could easily think seventy seven is four. Um, so is that why you knocked it down? You mentioned a moment ago why you knocked it down to forty, but was it easier for you to do? A top forty than it was to do a top one hundred. Oh, I just can't I mean, imagine what was, eighty through a hundred are like. It was definitely easier from the standpoint of going out to eat. I mean, I had a pretty limited uh, window of of you know essentially research where I visited these restaurants. I had to package that in as tight as possible because you know I just didn't want to be away from home too much this year. Um, and I think with the one hundred and one last year. I probably visited, you know, like 120 to 130 restaurants specifically for the guide. I visit probably 50 other restaurants, uh, you know, over the rest of the year. That was just like a time commitment that I just wasn't willing to make for personal reasons this year. So cutting it down in that sense was easier. Some of the decisions I had to make, like what's number 41 on this list, were a lot harder. Yeah. And I'm sure it's 40 to 50 were really tough for you. You had to leave those off. Definitely. Every one of them is a great restaurant unto its own, right? For sure, for sure. I was surprised to see, can I t- ask about one specific restaurant? That, I was only surprised to see, there, there was one surprise in your list that, um, if you could talk a little bit more about. Yeah. Torteria y Tienda de, Le- de Leon. It's the Gusados place. I, um, yeah, go ahead, yeah, Gary, sorry. I, it wasn't on your list last year, was it? No, I think that was an oversight. I... Um, that's a restaurant. It's out on, uh, Gleason street, um, at about 160th and they specialize in sort of like stewed meat tacos, which is, uh, um, something that's been popularized by a restaurant of the same name in Los Angeles called Guisados and locally here in Portland by Mimero Mole, a uh, Nick Zukin's place. So this is like a home style, awesome family run restaurant. The food is awesome so so good and i just found myself going out there again and again again and again again this year uh i probably visited like six or seven times just for fun uh right after our baby was born i would make trips out there with the baby in the back in the uh uh car seat to uh go pick up carnitas to bring home uh and it's just a a really fantastic restaurant so like part of the my thinking when i was arranging this list and deciding who was in and who was out was like thinking about access. That was the word that I had in my mind a lot. And I thought about access in several ways, like access for customers. Like, you know, we're going to get to talk about the number, our new number one restaurant later, but you know, I was blown away by meals at Noto Guru this year. And I had the good fortune to eat there several times, but that's also a restaurant that, you know, 99% of the city like we'll never eat at and you know even people who would want to eat that there are going to be put off by the ticketing system where tickets disappear immediately by the price point you know over a hundred dollars and ranging much higher than that um, and that's not a knock on the restaurant that's just like when i'm thinking about where these places fall and what to include and what not to include like i really wanted this list to have places that were accessible for customers at all you know all levels of income, like, and Tortilla, Tortilleria Tienda de Leones, that's a place that you can go even if you have no money because the food is so cheap. Um, but the, so you're missing, I would think you miss some others that would have been in that category. 
Like that might be, I, I don't have the list. Uh, it, it, I don't think there were any others that were like that, that were at that level. I think there's a few others at that level. I think, well, like the one that comes up for me, I think was even higher uh, than De Leon's is uh, uh, Rose Viel, which is another right. place that okay. I just absolutely eat at, you know, And then there was obviously in Kitchen too. Right. So there were some others as well. So, yeah, I've always felt that those are part of the whole, that when you come to a city or when you're going out to dine, those are just as important as the castanas and the and the uh, le pigeons of the world and the coquines. Right, right. And especially for Portland where we're really good at cheap eats. We're really, mm-hmm. I mean, like, I probably could have found a way to put, like, a lardo on this list. I didn't in the end. But, like, you know, that's where we really shine. And it's a part of our restaurant scene and it's one we shouldn't ignore. I think lists like this um, often do this thing where they sort of, like, ghettoize, like, what we call cheap eats, like, cheap eats have to be in their own section and they can't overlap. And like, I think that's like, you know, a problem. I think it's important to mix the two, especially when a place is really great. And one of my defining, uh, uh, sort of criteria for entry on this list was like, are you the best at what you do in Portland or even beyond Portland? So like not every place fits that criteria, but like, I think Kachka, for example, is like, I don't think there's a cooler Russian restaurant in America. I've asked, national critics about this they they agree with me um i know gary feels that notoguro is like one of the premier japanese restaurants in america and i know gary's done the legwork there um and place after place is like that like rose vl is uh an awesome vietnamese soup place like for america like total like there's i don't think there's a place like this in houston which has an amazing vietnamese food scene seattle definitely doesn't have anything like this um you know, I'm sure there are other options, but it is like an excellent, excellent restaurant based on any criteria. And you and you make the calls to find that out in Houston and Seattle because you can't necessarily know about all the other cities. I mean, I rely on, you know, my own legwork. I rely on critics in other cities. You know, this is just in conversation stuff. This isn't like deep research or anything. Right. And by the way, this is a list. It's not, it's a list. It's not it's just the end fun, of the world. Right. It's fun. Exactly. Lists, lists are fun and they're they're obviously opinions anybody can would do a completely different list absolutely there's nobody who would do your top 40 a pizza shoals there's another place that's inexpensive right. uh and i think you know is pretty much people who care about these things it's pretty inarguably the best pizzeria it may be in the northwest definitely in portland um, and to me that was like okay they have to be on the list you know i think so and that i think based on this show where we often ask chefs where they're hanging out and where they where they would tell people who come in from out of town uh pizza shoals comes up every time it's incredible yeah, yeah. so but just as many people i talk to chefs about because i i love pizza too uh, the even more even more often mentioned than pizza shoals and many chefs love a pizza shoals um is lovely 50 50 yeah it's beloved within the industry yeah that was like a really really tough call for me gary uh i mean i don't want to i don't know if they're number 41 for me but like you know i've been going there pretty much since and we used to live just off mississippi so that was like my date night hangout with my wife and you know i remember just loving that you get a little carafe of wine and these like farm to table pizzas and they really really hit their stride under sarah minnick and um you know if there was any temptation to go to 45 or 50, uh, it was that place. Uh, I just, you know, sort of like came down to the cutting room floor and thought like, okay, how many pizzerias can you have on a list of 40 restaurants? How many, um, you know, how many steakhouses can you have? Um, and those are tough calls. And, you know, Ken's artisan pizza, which has been considered number one or number two in this town for 10 years. Um, you know, I put, put trifecta on the list instead. So these are just tough calls. Um, but I think like pizza lovers, like I, I, like if you're just thinking about pizza, like what Lovely's 50, 50 represents is amazing. Like the idea that you're taking these farm vegetables, the same things you're seeing at maybe Tusk or Coquine and you're putting them on this pizza in a way that's super accessible. Like that's really amazing. I still think a pizza Shoals is the best pizzeria in Portland. Um, and maybe even extending throughout the Northwest. 
Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupans. Unsurpassed quality. From the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupans and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers as well as local chefs know that Zupans is the place to find the very best Northwest Bounty in Portland. West Burnside, Southwest McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years. Zupans Markets. Um, what is What was the most underrated restaurant not in your top 40? I'm not asking what the number 41 is, but just... Yeah, well, I was, gonna, I was going to say, do you have, in, on the top of your mind, 40 through 50? Let's give them a little uh, shout-out, because they didn't make your published list, but they're... Uh, uh, I didn't put that together ahead of time, but I mean, I think it would probably look a lot like what, you know, when I did 101 last year, I went all the way to 101. So uh, there's a lot of places on that list. We've mentioned some of them today. I think Mediterranean Exploration Company keeps getting better. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lovely's 5050 was huge. Uh, places that are, you know, only a couple days a week, like Tanuki and May, uh, are incredible and sort of vital parts of our restaurant scene, even if they're not, um, you know, quote unquote, full restaurants. Um, trying to think what else. Well, I wanted to ask you, I, I try to avoid asking about individual restaurants. Hot I don't Yai? Put, what about Hot Yai? I yeah, love Hot Yai. Hot Yai? And so Longbon made this year's list in the top 10. Right. Okay, but, you know, I'll probably be at Hot Yai like 10 times more than Longbon next year, so. And you mentioned that, right? Did, yeah. So you, you talked about that. I was just going to ask, you know, this year we had the Tapas tour and then La Ruta, so Spanish food seemed to be a pretty big thing in in Portland this year, and one of my favorites is Ordinetta, um, which I just learned to fall in love with. I just think it's a beautifully romantic restaurant, and the, the food is wonderful. That's the only one that when I looked at the list, and, and that and Farm Spirit, I was wondering where those were. Yeah, I mean, so I'll take those separately. Ordinetta probably would have made the new restaurant list because I extended that back about mm, 15 months, I think, uh, just because to date it back to the previous restaurant guide. Um, and, you know, I think we're sort of like blessed with a lot of great Spanish food in this town. I think like a Taula is really, I mean, they were number 11 on my list this year. They're sort of like perennially, you know, threatening to crack the top 10. But uh, they're a, they're, that's a tapas restaurant that I could see opening in Barcelona tomorrow and being an exciting place that people were hyped on. Um, like Jose Chesa, it, he comes from that area. He has like an amazing knowledge of the food and he does creative things that are, you know, often successful, not always, but very often successful. Um, so we're sort of blessed with that. We have this new, like really traditional, it's odd that it's there, but we have this traditional Spanish restaurant in the Pearl now called Can Font. Um, so I think like Spanish food, is, it, it's, it's funny when you're making these lists, you're like, okay, well, where does this fall in the continuum of Spanish restaurants in this town? Right, I mean, and that doesn't said. even mention Toro Bravo or Bar Casavalli, which was, uh, 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 that's Nate Tilden's bar, awesome bar. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think Urdaneta and Bar Casavalli, they sort of made my long list of new restaurants I was excited about, but mm-hmm. didn't make the final cut. Um, you're not the first person that's recommended them since the guide came out. But uh, okay, as for Farm Spirit, I think that like that sort of ties back into my feeling of about access and i think one of the difficulties i had ranking these restaurants is a lot of portland's best 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 restaurants are tasting menu places that sell tickets you have to or or you have to make reservations potentially two three four five six months in advance uh six months in Longbon's case like think about those restaurants like Longbon, notoguro castagna like it's really easy for a list of best restaurants in the city to get choked by places that real readers will never be able to go to. And like, it's crazy for me. This list does so well for us traffic wise every year. People love restaurant lists, obviously, but like this list is like, it's going to pass a million page views probably tomorrow. Like a lot of people read this thing and that's something I take seriously. I want, the list to have places that people can go to. And if all of the top five are places that, you know, you have to be super wealthy and super like organized about making your reservations, that's just not that fun. I, I agree with you. I think there, it's, there are a lot on that list I've gone to and some I don't, you know, once every four years because I'm not, I'm not prone to going out to spend a hundred. Cause you're not bucks. Gary. 
Yeah. Well, I guess that this is the opportunity to ask Gary, how do you do it, man? How do you, where, how do you, how do you go out and do all these restaurants? It's the second stomach. He has he yeah, told you about that? I, yeah, it must be. Cause, um, that and the, uh, and the, the well, bank my, account. My, my Los Angeles trip, but my friend who always eats with me in Los Angeles, we did, he, I did two lunches, then we did four dinners. He only joined me for dinners, and by the end of the night, he was sick to his stomach. I mean, he had to, like, walk around. Is that because he, he, he logged on to his online banking and took a look <laughs> at what happened there? <laughs> I'll, I'll tell yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's a lot of, I mean, I, I do like eating. Michael likes to eat. Um, mm. We eat together. I mean, so yeah. I mean, it's 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 a it's a it's fun. I enjoy good food. Um, and you know, and Castagna and Nordgrill are my two favorite restaurants. They they aren't cheap. I don't go that often. I don't go as often as everyone thinks I go. But um, yeah, it's well, it's, it's. I have this question for you. How often do you make a Because I do. How often do you make decisions on where you're dining based on price? Oh. That's why I'd love to go to Castagna every month. And I thought you did. I, I can't. I, um, I, I kind of think, well, when was the last time at Castagna? Has it been a couple of months? Has it been last month? Then I'll I think, well, let's look at the menu and see what's on the menu. That, that oftentimes is the overriding factor. I haven't been to a sushi um, place in a while. but um, Okay, here's I'll, I'll do a follow-up question. Like For me, like... There is a price point, even though I have an expense account, there is a price point where I cannot enjoy a meal. And for me, it's probably higher than for most people, but there's restaurants in San Francisco where just to get in the door, you're spending, let's say, $300, $400 before wine. And if you do get wine, you might be dropping $1,200 for two people to eat, like I've eaten at a couple of those places and I find personally, uh, this is probably something I shouldn't admit as a restaurant critic, but I have a lot of difficulty enjoying those meals. Um, uh, partly because I'm paying out of pocket um, for my own expenses on those. Uh, is there a price point for any of you guys here where like, I just can't, you just can't enjoy a meal anymore. It's just oh, too expensive. Yeah. For me, Court, there's, always get... a, there's always a number. We, you and I, Michael talked about sub, Sublimotion. 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 It's like over $2,000 for the, uh, for food. Hell no. Sublimotion and pizza. Not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and the Noma in New York was $2,000 a ticket. But that was like a private invite only affair. Um, Noma, Mexico, I think. Tom, my friend Thomas in LA went. I think it was like, what was it? $500, $600? $600 a person just for the food? Good Something like that. To have I, a sc- Scandinavian guy tell you what Mexican food should taste like. No thanks. But for us who love food, that question almost is like, what's your income? Because yeah. years ago, I, when I first moved here, I was going out a lot and spending a lot, and it didn't seem to matter to me. And now, uh, you know, my income situation has changed, my businesses have changed, and I find myself thinking, uh, very simply, the math is simple, to go to... Even I always am thinking I want to go to Castagna. And then I do that math, and I've said this before, well, I probably don't want to go to Castagna sitting there by myself. That's not the, what I want to do. So now we're talking about somebody else who might, you know, I have to find someone who either wants to go Dutch or <laughs> now I'm on the hook for four or 500 bucks. And so then I think, how many meals can I have at Kachka or Coquine for that? And that's where, my, that's where my, I come down, and, then, and I'm not there. And I love Castagna. I just don't get, I see you there all the time, Gary, and I think I'd love to, that, I'm jealous. I can't do it. But I appreciate Michael's, uh, one of Michael's criteria that he used was approachability and accessibility for everybody. Yeah, I think, and I've always felt that um, overall, and I've talked to you about when you do your roundups, and you do a great job. We have, um, you know, we have a diverse list of restaurants, but I don't want it to all be the restaurants nobody can afford, that, that that's the best restaurant. And we discussed that a little in San Francisco. I remember asking you, well, yeah, are there any uh, yeah, cheaper places not, here? Well, yeah, there's, there's nothing I can do about San Francisco. That, but in Portland, when we discuss restaurants every month, I, it's a wide, it's always been a wide range. A- absolutely. But, but the San Francisco list, yeah, as you went exactly. down it, I started to ask you, hey, it man, is, is there anywhere I could go here? Well, Can yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't I, not to speak for you, Gary, but I don't think you would travel just for... You know, yeah. we've talked about this before. I think I asked Gary if uh, he thought there were going to be any new, like, one Michelin star restaurants in my hometown in the East Bay a few years ago. And he said, 
Oh, I don't care about one Michelin star. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Quite I only care yeah. about three. Well, and, all, yeah. no, uh, I, 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 unfortunately, I had to cancel an Oakland trip for next week, but oh. I was going to go to um, Juhu Beach Club, which is really inexpensive. I was yeah. going to go to the ramen shop. I was going to go to Brown Sugar Kitchen. All of them are very... And Nito, which is like uh, Nito, which is like $3 tacos. So uh, on this trip to Oakland, I did specifically think about lower price point restaurants and throwing a comi. Um, <laughs> of course. Yeah, at the end. And so, yeah, I, I, I mean, in Oakland, it's, it's, you know, prices are more reasonable because it's Oakland, not San Francisco. Right. And, Portland, and that, that's a good question for Michael, I think, is uh, have you noticed price creep here? I've noticed it's, yeah, it's gotten a little more expensive big than time. it was three or four years ago to eat here. Yeah, I re- this is like an anecdote I've brought up before, but I was talking to... Uh, one of the guys who opened Irving Street Kitchen, and they're a San Francisco restaurant group. And when they came up here, they had a menu similarly priced to their San Francisco restaurants with a lot of entrees at like 34, 36, 38. And what they learned immediately was there was this sort of like red line for the Portland diner, that if they looked at the entree menu and they saw too many things over $30, that they would feel like the restaurant was too expensive and not come back. And what they ended up doing was like they probably added in a pasta or a chicken or something that was in the 18 to $24 range as a way to sort of like balance out that menu, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of chefs and restaurant owners have done here. So like this year eating out for the restaurant guide, I saw people blowing past that. Um, you know, many, many restaurants now their on their mains are priced at 34, 36, um, even new places, even places that aren't, you know, necessarily super hyped, um, seem to be comfortable at that price range. And I don't know if the Portland customer has followed along or, Hey, is this just all the new people from California who have a little more expensive income? I think that's what it is. And I think we have increased business. Um, and I'm thinking a lot of the Portland people are working off the left side of that menu. Yeah. I'm, I I blanch. I swear to God, I blanch at those prices. I'm thinking if I spend $35 on an entree, what if it's not good? I just wasted $35 on, you know, if I, I, I'm scared. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, 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 I know, okay, then why do you spend whatever, uh, $250 at Manresa? Because I know David Kent kills it each and every time. I know I'm going to have one of the best meals in the world that night. But when I'm eating a $35 meat dish at some restaurant, I'm thinking, you know, at many of these restaurants probably, I'm thinking, holy crap. What For, at a place where you've never heard of the chef and, right. you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's a crazy thing. And I'm a little better, I'm I'm more prone to do that sort of thing if I'm with, one or two or three other people that we can order it and share. So I'm not oh, yeah. just stuck yeah. with that $35 dish and I can try a little bit of everything. That's and, and the reality of that is that a lot of restaurants are sort of like watching the rising minimum wage coming down the pipeline. They're realizing that their, you know, their numbers aren't going to pencil out the way they used to. And so they're sort of like prematurely inching those things up. Now, like at a place like Le Pigeon, you're like, okay, well, you know, your prices were probably kind of low given the quality of this restaurant, the number of accolades it's gotten, uh, and that kind of makes sense. But, you know, at other places, you're like, really, guys? Yeah, well, we'll see. So let's talk. We, we don't have – I wish we had all day to talk about it, but you are you have a new top uh, top restaurant in Portland, which was news in and of itself. Dun, dun, dun. So how long, how long did Le Pigeon <laughs> hold the number one spot? For well, you? for me, I mean, I've only ranked it three years in a row. I think Le Pigeon's probably been the best restaurant in the city for – nine years seven eight nine years i know that you know we can disagree about that but uh you know this year i sort of like was weighing three places like i think le pigeon uh i think um gabe is probably our most like naturally talented chef and that's still on display he's still there several nights a week uh the flavors he brings together are you know often shot you know surprising and amazing uh, and I also think that that's sort of like Portland's signature flagship restaurant. So that, that, that's been my criteria for naming them number one the past two years. I think Castagna, uh, I think Justin Woodward is like extremely, extremely skilled. So you have this like, on the one hand, super talent. On the one hand, super skill. But the restaurant that I ended up naming number one was Coquine. And a lot of that ties back into some of this discussion of access and approachability uh, that I've been talking about the whole the whole. Uh, show here like you can go there and you can have the dish that I called my favorite dish of 2016 uh, which is just a simple pasta 
at their counter and you can drink a glass of wine that uh, Sondek, the general manager, picks for you. And you've got Katie Millard who really, uh, uh, really, really knows what she's doing. You don't have to spend a lot of money there. You can spend a lot of money there. It's pretty easy to creep up uh, uh, into the, you know, $80 a person range. You don't have to order too much to get there. But you don't have to spend your whole mortgage to eat there. Um, and, I mean, we can ask Gary how he feels, but we, we've talked about this a lot. I think Cocaine's just been killing it now for two years. They were my restaurant of the year last year, uh, which is sort of like the, the restaurant that defined the year. And they just kept getting better, um, you know, from the service to the food. They're a vegetable-focused restaurant um, in the sense that Katie is, you know, sources stuff from Black Locust and all these, like, sort of, like, cultishly followed farms. Um, and, and But she really, really knows what to do with vegetables. She's not just, like, presenting, like, raw, you know, salads. She's, like, just, like, she... I don't know. I really love that restaurant. I had an incredible meal there, and that sort of tipped, tipped them over the top. And so you need, you explained it last time you were on, the difference between number one yeah, on your list and restaurant of the year. Well, hold on. I, I want to know, you know, how your guys' experience at Coquine and, and, you know, if you think that that's a, a worthy number one. Well, I've I i I've been go- I, well, I was at her first pop-up at False Teeth, like, uh, 2013, I think it was. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I and I had I had Katie's food at Davis Street Tavern, which really wasn't her food per se, but she was the CDC there at the time. And um, so I've seen her. She, I'm not going to say grow because I because you and I just well, I, and Chris helped open Coquine. He did a PFA before it opened to the mm-hmm. public, and I was there that night. And I got and I I eat there a lot over the past. Thousand um, July two thousand fifteen, and when you named it number eleven last year, you asked me. I said I think it's, it's my third favorite restaurant in Portland, and I didn't, I didn't think it was close. And um, her her food, it's just so so consistently good. She doesn't. I can't. I can hardly. I can't really think of a dish that I've never liked there. I can't say the same about um, Gabe or even Justin. Justin's batting batting average is really 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 high. But Katie's is probably hard. As far as Justin's highs are higher than Katie's, but it comes at a price. Um, and, and, but yeah, I, I love Katie's food. It's just so consistently good. Um, yeah, I mean, she's she's fantastic. Uh, I, you know, my comment. I don't have the experience that you guys have there. I've pro, I we did the first dinner there, which was I love doing serving. You know, their at the time their favorite dishes. That's what they want to put out there to impress. And I've been back maybe two or three times since then once with you gary we shared the chicken and you you turned me on to that that was delicious and i just recently after we did your update last time i went for lunch and had the steak sandwich which i think was that's a killer steak sandwich that was a really really i was just up there and uh getting coffee and they just kept flying out of the kitchen i'm like i'm not hungry but might need to stay for this. Well, I did that with the bologna sandwich. Three dollars. Three dollars bologna sandwich. Yeah. It's a three dollar sandwich at Portland's but, best yeah, restaurant. Well, it's, but it's a, it's like a little sandwich slider. It's not like a big the, sandwich. It's for the kids. Right, but it's but I Slide so it. I did two sandwiches instead of ordering. I wanted to get the the tasting menu, which again was for me. I'm going to get up to twenty eight dollars or whatever it was. That may not be the number, but it was for lunch, and that's just not what I like to do. I mean, sure. I like. I look for the $5 slice. I look for the $5 easy things, slices of pizza and so forth, and a taco or two for lunch because I don't want to eat that much. But if you don't want to spend $65 or whatever it is for their tasting menu, you can go in and just, like, try their cookie. Like, Katie takes such care in everything she does. And, like, the cookie, Gary will probably know how much it is. It's a couple bucks. Yeah, it's Uh, two or three, I think. And. And, I, and that's and a phenomenal great. cookie. It's, I mean, it's like often it's like fresh out of the oven. It's still hot. And you've got these chunks of chocolate. You've got this like these sort of like meaty almonds. And then I think there's some caramel in there, too. It's like a remarkably good cookie. So the other thing for me, that, so you're asking that question. It's not always about the food for me. For me, it's the the ambiance, the experience of eating there, because I think a positive, fun experience uh, just is what I want to walk out with. I forget dishes days later. I really, unless it's incredible, but overall, and it's a beautiful little spot. They're open for, I'm not close enough to go for breakfast um, or for brunches, and, but they do everything. They're trying to be a little, you know, do different things because it's a different place during the day than it is at night, Coquine. So 
Um, yeah, and it'll be really interesting to see how they evolve. I mean, you know, they're in a real, real sweet spot right now, and I think that now is the real, really the time to visit them. But I had the sense when I first reviewed them a couple years ago that maybe like the future would hold like uh, sort of like more upscale and then a more mid-scale split. Like I'm thinking of like uh, Chez Anise in Berkeley, which has the cafe upstairs, which is not really a cafe. It's a mid-scale restaurant. And then the sort of like reservations only tasting menu downstairs. Like, I mean, I, I don't know if the yoga studio space ever comes available next door to them. Like that would maybe be a logical thing for them. Um, I have no idea what they want to do. That's just, it just seemed like a logical shift. Well, stay tuned. They're coming on the podcast. Oh, we're just scheduling the best. You can ask. You can ask about um, the fine dining aspect of because that's what I was hoping when I went to Davis Street Tavern when she arrived because I knew she was a sous, she was Daniel Patterson's sous chef at Qua for a few years so I was thinking oh my God Davis Street Tavern what kind of oh God she's gonna make these this upscale um, maybe this upscale multi Michelin star food and I ate it and I think holy crap this isn't this is not but that wasn't her thing it was the owners of Davis Street that was. That was probably her love of Portland that had to land her here and yeah. get her situated, yeah. right? And 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 Coquine, if I were if I were a Michelin inspector, if I were head of well, head of Michelin doesn't get his side stars, but if I if I were a Michelin inspector, I would give it one Michelin star. So are I, there I, any three? There there are no threes in Portland. Or are there any well, twos? Here, but, uh, I, I, I don't I, think so. No, he doesn't think so. But the thing is, when, when Justin and, and if Justin does a dinner, if we do dinners together, where, we, where he he I get to maybe pick the 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 meal wild game. My wild game meal was a three Michelin star, and Doc was with me on and Doc travels the world. She was just at two Michelin star Blanca. She 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 was at um, she's been to co many. She's traveled the world in multi Michelin star restaurant. She has she agreed with me that when she went and ate with me at Castania, I think it was the the wild game dinner. It, she she said it it was a three Michelin star meal. Wow, She's been great. many three Michelin star restaurants as I have too. Cool. So I want to talk about restaurant of the year. Yeah. Okay. So this year we're moving res- our restaurant of the year, which usually comes in the restaurant guide, to a separate section at the end of the year. And part of the reason we did that, actually, it was like something that came up uh, when I was on the show last year. You asked me, hey, Renata was your restaurant of the year in 2015, and they're only at number 10 this year in the restaurant guide in your ranking. So, like, one of the sort of, like, side effects of ranking the restaurant guide is that we all of a sudden created this number one restaurant, the best restaurant in Portland, which is like, I mean, we are having this serious conversation about this. Obviously, it's super subjective, you know, and restaurants can have up and down nights, so... You know, no one, no one bats a thousand. Uh, but you know, for me, it's Coquine this year. The problem is like that created a question in people's minds. Like what's the restaurant of the year then? But like for me, the restaurant of the year has always been sort of the restaurant that defines the moment. It's often a, uh, new restaurant, although not always, uh, my predecessors in the past have picked like Navarre, which was already like a decade old by the time we picked them as restaurant of the year. We've picked Castagna twice. Once when they were relatively new, and once when Matt Leitner took over 10 years later, that was a nice bookend. Um, they're not even always in Portland. Uh, another predecessor picked Thistle in McMinnville, which was, you know, was sort of like doing fresh new things in for locavore cuisine and for, for wine country. So, you know, the question is that a lot of people brought up, including you from that question, it was clear that there was some disconnect between what the restaurant of the year is and what the best restaurant is. And in order to sort of make that more clear, we're moving the restaurant of the year to its own space, which I think will make, give that a little more clarity. And Michael, can I, maybe I'm paraphrasing what you've written about the restaurant of the year, but the restaurant of the year for you, what is, you answer the question, what captured the zeitgeist of the dining scene, I'm going to say in Portland, although like you said, can pick someone outside of Portland, but what captured the zeitgeist of the, the year in, you know, in food in our town? I think that's a good way to phrase it. And, you know, previous restaurants of the year for us have included like Le Pigeon, Beast, Pock Pock. More recently, we've had Ox, uh, Little Bird, uh, Renata, Coquine was our restaurant of the year last year. So like, I think you're seeing places that are sort of like representing a moment in time. Um, Actually, you know, it's something that doesn't get brought up a lot, but like both the owners of Renata and Coquine came here from San Francisco. It's not even something that I like dove into in the stories necessarily outside of their own like little bios. But 
well, maybe that represents something. Maybe people are leaving San Francisco because it's too expensive, but you know they're passionate about right. restaurants and they open a restaurant. Right. Half of our chefs are here because of that. That's I true. Would think, Rucker, uh, Gabriel, you know, without, without he's from Napa. It's true. But well, that's Nikki, 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 Nick, Nick Armitage grew up in Portland, Oregon. He grew up in Irvington neighborhood. That's true. Um, shout out, can, shout out so to you, Irvington. You you mentioned end of the year, so you you, you, you it will be toward the end of the year. I, I, I I'm mean, thinking, are you I'm thinking December, like December, December. Uh, yes, December. Yes, you heard okay. it here first. I want to okay. hear which restaurant. I want to hear what. I'd rather hear which restaurant it is rather than the uh, the month. But we'll maybe we can we can do something then. I think uh, I think it's going to be really exciting, and uh, I think it'll some, clear up. Place in you mind? know, and it's not just you that like. It's not just you that feels this way. Like my the editor of the newspaper was like the biggest like every year. What the heck is the restaurant of the year again? Like, and once we added the ranking, it was like he just he he couldn't get it. And I know a lot of readers feel that way. So I'm hoping this clears it up. I think no. I think it makes perfect sense once you explain it because you see the number one. Well, you just assume restaurant of the year would be the best and not necessarily i think what it represents so yeah i think it'll be a lot of fun we'll see do you already have something in mind are you down to like a few i'm down to a few yeah all right no (laughs) names not naming no i didn't think so i was just trying to think well part of the restaurant guide this year was a list of our my favorite 10 new restaurants in town so that you know i'm not saying it'll come from there because we've done like i said navarre and castagna places that are over a decade old uh so there's some flexibility there but you know it's like, when does a restaurant reach its sweet spot? I feel like it's like 18 months to four years old. Like to me, that's like the first year they're really finding their way. Not every place, but like that's when restaurants tend to come into their own. Um, and I think like we've sort of seen that with Coquine especially. Well, how about, and how about some lists that, that are some way of highlighting those that have stood the test of time? Like Paley's and Park Kitchen. I mean, those are places that get forgotten because everybody's doing lists all the time and what's new sure. and exciting and who's well, talking about what and they're not an eater as much. And uh, I think if you if you pick up or, or go online to look at the our top forty, we have Paley's Place, uh, Higgins, Ringside, which is seventy five years old. We have Higgins, we have Park Kitchen, um, all places, and there's other places that are more than ten years old. I think Toro Bravo passed ten years. Uh, Le Pigeon. Yes. Uh, yep. Is Beast at 10, it's Gary? 10. It's over 10. Oh, sure. Yeah, so I'd say there's like, you know, I mean, Portland's restaurant scene changes all the time. And I think it's like important to not, you know, not get so stuck in legacy places that you ignore stuff. So maybe I was guilty of that with Expatriate versus Beast. But like, you know, there's a surprising amount of places in there that are more than 10 years old, which by Portland restaurant standards is like, you know, they've stood the test of time. That is a huge, huge success. Like, and for me, the only reason I mention that is because when people say, where should I go to eat? The first thing everybody's thinking is what's new, right? So those kind of get left out and they should be there. Um, but we're, we are all about the new here because it is this. And you assume people have been to these other places before and maybe they want to try something. Well, different. that's true, but they also have new chefs. They have new blood. So things change true. over time. Um, well, thank you so much for is there anything that you left out that we didn't talk about that we that you wanted to talk about in terms of the list <laughs> or in terms of the scene i was actually going to ask you we're doing our monthly update right after this okay if you would mind staying for a little bit and participating in that sure i'll hang for a little bit okay um it's quick it's i quick. was going to plug something i'm doing for feast but now that that's in the past uh i probably can't do that but well, I, I hope everyone can enjoyed go look it up I hope everyone enjoyed my Q&A with Eduardo Jordan last Friday, a.k.a. this Friday. Well, the beautiful it was it, awesome. Still look it up. <laughs> now you got it. Now you got it. Yeah. Yeah, Great. go look up my interview with Eduardo Jordan. He's a, a, a chef in Seattle who runs a southern restaurant called June Baby that I think is pretty remarkable. Um, and also Solari. And also Solari. Solari. It's good to have Gary here. already forgotten Solari. so excited about June Baby. I only care about new places. So, no, but Solari is a great little neighborhood restaurant, sort of Italian focused. And then he opened this restaurant called June Baby, which is like, uh, you know, sort of digging into his own roots as an African-American chef in the South. He grew up in Florida um, and he sort of traces uh, uh, Southern cuisine from Africa to the South. And then as it disperses throughout the United States and the food is remarkably good. He sort of comes out of Matt Dillon's Seattle restaurant empire. And I think 
there's some comparisons in terms of price point and accessibility, et cetera. But uh, go and go and have the pig ears uh, with the pecan butter and the chitlins if you can uh, brave those. They're pretty awesome. And um, the desserts. Well, that uh, might be that might be the best from what I've read and what I've talked to Michael about it and read Providence Cicero's review and other people's reviews. That might be the best new restaurant in America right now. Well, yeah. For this year, for this year. Yeah, I think it could be. I I feel like uh, well maybe they're my restaurant of the year. That would be a big surprise. <laughs> Through the Northwest. I've yeah. often thought there should be an Oregon list, yeah. like including Restaurant Pack and, uh, and some of my favorites that are elsewhere. Blackbird, Manzanita. <laughs> now, that's not on my list. Uh, uh, local Ocean, Newport. Local Ocean, local, local Ocean. Ocean, and I, you know, I'm a big South Beach. We're talking about dives. Albatross in Astoria, which is run by Eric former Bichard. Thistle Chef. Eric Richard. Not sure if he's current Thistle Chef, former. Yeah, well, he doesn't. He's Thistle, the bartender there, Thistle but founder. it's his restaurant. Yeah, um, and that's an interesting experience. Yeah. So, um, I've had, you know, I've had. I I always recommend it. It's a fun place to go, but it's a, it's a little bit like the soup Nazi in, in Seinfeld. I feel <laughs> so. Um, but the food's really good. I once recommended the, someone yelled at me from across the bar, a friend of mine said, what should I have? And I yelled back, this is like the best burger. You need to have the burger. And Eric got pissed off at me for <laughs> recommending the burger and not something else. So, um, so that's there. But I also, you know, have, did, have you ever been to uh, South Beach uh, Fish Market at, over the Aquina Bay Bridge in Newport? Mm, nope. I would love you to try that sometime. On the other side? Yeah, I'm always raving about it, and I always ask people, for me, talk about accessible. You know, That's really where, like, when we are doing coastal guides in Portland, like, we really kind of cut it at that bridge because it's like, you know, people in Portland, they don't really vacation it, beyond Newport. It's, it's a minute past yeah, the bridge, yeah, and yeah, it needs to be considered there. because for me, you know, we live near the ocean. where we Seafood is not highlighted in Portland enough. And that, to me, is a that and local ocean seafoods are present that part of Oregon, the Oregon experience. All right, I'll take my talents to South Beach uh, sometime. Yeah, next sometime year. before the next <laughs> before next year. Let's talk about it. One other question: Seattle versus Portland. How do you feel? That are oh yeah, it? good question. I I feel like uh, you know, I think I've, they they've been killing us the past couple years, and I I don't know if Gary agrees with this, me on this, but like I thought. Like June Baby is the restaurant that I wish would open in Portland. I think, you know, it's 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 a pretty remarkable place. It's saying something new and interesting about Southern cuisine. I mean, I think May might have the potential to do that whenever they decide to make the jump to brick and mortar. But um, I also really thought Renee Erickson's Steakhouse was pretty special. Um, Bateau. Bateau, yeah, Bateau. Bateau does this thing where, like, there's a chalkboard, and they list, like, every single part of a cow. Like, and you can get everything from the tongue to the hooves, basically. And it just lists it and the price, and you can order it. And as soon as you order it, they cross it off the chalkboard because they only have one. Because they only, you know, there's only one on the cow, or maybe four if we're talking about hooves. Uh, or some meat off near the hoof. And, like... You know, you can go all the way up to spending like $120 on some ridiculous 60-day dry-aged ribeye or something down to, you know, relatively inexpensive cuts. Like, it's kind of what Laura Hurst Market was doing 10 years ago, but just mm -hmm. like the next evolutionary step in that uh, in the sense that it's like you're really transparent about uh, where the meat you're getting is coming from and, you know, you're not getting like, like how are you serving 48 lamb chops a day at this restaurant like you know where does the rest of that animal go like at bateau you know exactly where it's going and my one of my favorite experiences ever was at the whale winds up there ah uh, yeah Love i like restaurant. the whale winds and i like walrus and the carpenter even though i think uh, our gary might disagree with that one. Oh, one of the worst experiences of my life i had one of the best experiences of my life there i mean just like i felt like i was going into this was years and years ago i felt like i had found like a new format for the oyster bar that was like distinctly northwest um okay so you know agree to disagree and that's a, well that's always going to happen so <laughs> but in terms of uh better food scene if someone's doing a food vacation and they want to go to seattle or portland where would you suggest they go if they were focused on places that have opened in the past two years i think seattle beats us and i'm like kind of the ultimate portland homer uh, as people who read me know 
Um, but I think just with June Baby and Bateau and a few other places, I think they've been owning us. I've heard good things about Eden Hill, Max Petty's place, Copine, Scout, um, M Bar, where Jason Stratton is. Um, these are all really new. Restaurants. Yeah, I've been to Scout and I, I tried some of Copine's food at a festival and it was pretty pretty special. Well, you can't get the whole city of Portland together to huddle together in, 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 a, in a meeting room and saying, how are we going to battle this back? It's just got to happen. Also, the Woodshop um, wood Barbecue uh, is pretty great. I think they're probably, for me, it's like Matt's and Woodshop. Uh, Matt's in Northeast Portland and Woodshop in Seattle are the two places in the Northwest that are sort of like at the forefront of craft barbecue it's, in the Northwest right it now. It sounds to me that you are implying that maybe Seattle is a kind of a more exciting food city right now. Yeah. I mean, I think we've been killing them. Like right, over the past decade, we've right. just absolutely destroyed them. And finally, like James Beard, et cetera, started recognizing us. But just looking at the sort of like hyper small sample of the past 18 months to two years, I think they've been they've been winning. Yeah. So, so we got to step it up. Yeah, I think uh, that's the thing. How do you there's there's got to be somebody or a few people that that move that needle back. Um, thanks, Gary. You got anything else? That's it. Thank you. That's all, folks. Appreciate it, Michael. We really appreciate you coming by. No problem. My pleasure. And we got to, as we said last year, we have to do this more often. Indeed. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. 